podcast one production. We're talking about people losing jobs as well as wiping not just millions but sometimes billions of value off a company. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. In this episode, how to manage a crisis, my guest, Claire Kimball. Claire is a self-funded entrepreneur, founder of The Squiz, former press secretary to Tony Abbott and former communications director for the Woolworths Group. No one sees them coming. The attack from the side, the shonky employee, the competitor with leaked information, or even our own stuff up. The crisis. These are challenges most of us don't have time to think of or plan for. And most people I meet are perplexed about what goes on behind the scenes of a crisis. Claire, I wanted to talk to you because you've had so much experience in corporate affairs, in top ASX-listed companies and in politics. How bad can it get? Pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think from my own perspective, I've had a life, a a career in, in crisis management and issues management. I'm a pretty calm person, but clearly I seek a level of drama that I can then interject myself into and try and control. So uh, seeing things that go wrong and then trying to be of assistance to get things back on track has been an incredibly fulfilling uh, part of my career. And when it goes bad, it can get very bad. We're talking about people losing jobs, uh, potentially struggling to get jobs again, uh, as well as wiping not just millions, but sometimes billions of value off a company. That sounds extraordinary. Give me some examples of a crisis that we might see at work. I think probably they fall into a couple of buckets. There's things that, as you said, Margie, come out of left field and just swipe you from nowhere. They're events that you can't control. They're just things that have conspired in the in the galaxy to really come at you on a, on a given day. And then there's the stuff-ups. Uh, there's the opportunities for people to have either fessed up early and actually get a different outcome uh, or have for their own personal reasons, their own professional standing, uh, find themselves unable to confront until it gets to a really difficult point. Um, I have plenty full of examples on both sides of things. Uh, I think probably one that that came out of nowhere, uh, they're probably things that you attribute more to a company like Woolworths, which I I spent a good bit of time as their communications manager. Uh, Things like something going wrong in the supply chain where all of a sudden you have a health risk to people that you have to deal with governments as well as suppliers, as well as customers, as well as your staff. So that multi-pronged kind of uh, consequences that you really have to get across all of them to get a good outcome for people. Is that like clearing the shelves of a product? Yeah, we had an example about four or five years ago now where an egg supplier had some traces of salmonella in their supply and then actually getting back through the system to work out where those eggs were, who had purchased them, what we could do to keep people safe, uh, as well as making sure that that supplier didn't lose their business because these things can be quite significant with reputational risk for them, uh, as well as making sure our staff knew exactly what they needed to do, was incredibly complex for something that sounds so very 
simple, but things that are really difficult to plan for sometimes. Mm, and some other examples, I know we've just had the Royal Commission yeah. comes to mind, strawberries, needles, those sort of things. Yeah. They're very obvious ones. Yes. What, what, what else is happening? Margie, I had, again, to, to reference Woolworths, um, that period with that business where uh, all of a sudden through a chain of decisions that have been made at management level as well as a strengthening competitor in Coles and a changing shopping environment, um, some really challenging times for that business. And when you think about businesses, whether it's the banks or whether it's the big retailers, you think they're going to be there forever, but they have just as many challenges as anyone else does in terms of their ongoing viability. And people will remember the challenges that Woolworths had with the Masters home improvement business. Um, That was a really fascinating case study of strategy at a top level, then partnerships through joint ventures, uh, through to financial planning and then execution, uh, and a lot of egos that really meant that once they doubled down on a position, it was very difficult to come back from. Uh, Culture of businesses is such a fascinating thing and entirely important to when you start getting into a difficult point, how you actually then move on from that. I, from the outside, might see something like the salmonella outbreak or masters being sold. I don't understand anything that goes on behind the scenes. And a lot of my clients don't understand. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody told me there was a combat team and I'm like, I have to ask Claire (laughs) about this. What's going on behind the scenes of these crises? And Margie, I think when it it comes to it, this is really the point. Mm. There are people like me who... Uh, to use, I guess, a, a probably a really shaky analogy, we're like kind of chefs in the kitchen that don't use a recipe book. We do it by feel and it's really difficult sometimes for people like me to then be able to communicate to an organisation, particularly one that has many people involved in managing something like this, the importance of the decisions that they make and then how they then affect your public reputation uh, with the customers and and more broadly when it comes to things like fronting up against competitors and and all of that. And uh, communication managers, challenges, issues managers, people in corporate affairs in bigger organisations who are experts at this uh, quite often have to have a transition period and fitting into whatever company it is that they work with to understand what the secret source is to make sure that they have the people who are the doers in line with them. Explaining crisis management is really, really difficult because it is so much on instinct and touch and feel. Uh, Getting people who don't work in that on a day-to-day basis is sometimes really difficult. And the internal stakeholder management exercise, for me anyway, was probably the most informative as well as exhausting part of managing any crisis. If I'm hearing you correctly, it's not just actually your job in the combat zone, yeah. I'm going to make it really yes. dramatic there, but um, <laughs> in the crisis zone to actually manage the public reputation or the messages going out to the public, it's actually internally you you have a whole job of internal communication, whether that organisation's 10 people or 200,000 people, you've got this job to make sure everybody's lined up to the why, the what and the how. Absolutely spot on. So, Claire, how do you assess risk? If you're in a big organisation, particularly an ASX-listed one, chances are you've got a framework uh, around risk that has to be 
exercised almost every year to meet your insurance responsibilities. So again, with Woolworths as the example, we used to do a proper scenario that went for days uh, across a a range of things. It might be something like uh, an attack on a store where people are killed. Uh, It might be something like in the supply chain, or it might be something about uh, an activist group targeting you as a retailer. So we went through a whole bunch of those sorts of things. And that actually was a a requirement as part of your duties as being a listed company and then to your shareholders to be able to tick that box and say that we're crisis ready. For smaller organisations though, when you're so busy getting through your day-to-day, it's very difficult to turn your mind, I think, to what if one day perhaps something might happen. And I think that's a real challenge. There's, There's definitely ways of getting that bench strength without exercising every single scenario that you can possibly think of, but it's something that often gets put off, I think. What do you do at the squiz for your risk? Because you're a startup, you're yeah. doing really, really well, a news, email and podcast. What what do you do? We don't have the luxury with the squiz to do a whole bunch of scenario planning. Of course, we have a, a great strategy framework and investors that we do need to uh, get on board and get that sense of comfort that we're ready for things that might take us, uh, particularly in the range of things that we can control. We haven't done a lot of work on the things that might just come out of left field. And quite frankly, Margie, if it does, we'll deal with it. You know, I've got a a pretty good range of skills to be able to manage something like that. And I have a pretty good network of advice, which I think is is just so important, regardless of what it is in a startup. If you've got people you can tap and actually get some, you know, good advice from and some comfort around what it is that you're doing, that's a really good thing. Um, I definitely, though, fall into that bucket of, I've just got so much else to do. Mm. Just got so much else to do. And the luxury of being able to sit down and actually think about a whole range of risks that might come our way, just don't have time for. We do in a strategy sense, we work it all out. We think about, you know, if someone else, a big company was to do what we do, how would we deal with that? Sometimes that's life and you just got to get over it. Mm. I've got some clients who are being sued at the moment and yeah. they, and they're just absolutely shocked yeah. by that and they didn't have a plan B for yeah. it. And you know what, listening to um, one of your podcasts, I think this is quite a nice companion podcast to Neil Ackland's um, mm. story about what happens when something really hits you sideways. I was quite taken aback that even though through that process of building that ticketing system and feeling like something was going to go wrong, it was when something went wrong that they sat down and worked that out. And I think that's the challenge, particularly for small businesses, um, even to medium size. You're just so busy just getting your foot one in front of the other that it's it's really difficult sometimes to actually put the work into crisis management and issues management that it probably deserves. Mm, that's why I love talking about this today so people can get an idea of yeah. what actually are some of the things to do. What I'm fascinated by is what do I do when I'm leading a team of people mm. and everything's been going in the in the media potentially or yeah. there's, you know, gossip in the side corridors. What am I meant to do to lead through a crisis? I think that falls in, again, to a couple of buckets. You need to have the structure around you that people get access to in a really transparent way that ticks those organisational buckets so people have a sense of security, particularly a team, that if something goes wrong, we kind of had a, a mud map to get through this. And I think processes to identify crisis, report them and also mitigate for risk is really important. If you can just 
put an hour aside one day and actually tick those boxes, you've already gone a long way towards making sure that if something does hit the fan, you've got an opportunity to at least have a framework that your team is aware of that you can then pick up the pieces and move forward. Um, I think, though, leadership is just so important in crisis as it is in any aspect of that business. If you're the sort of leader that people can go to and fess up early that they've stuffed something up, that is just worth its weight in gold. Just the same as if you're the sort of leader that listens, chances are you're going to get some really good pieces of of information and advice from people that you're working closely with to grow your business. Being an open and transparent leader is just so important in so many ways and uh, no more so than in crisis management. Um, I think also, though, if you're the sort of leader who is able to make sure that people understand their roles in managing a crisis uh, so that the people who do need to be in the guts of it are there and understand their roles and understand uh, where we're going to because sure, things might have just gone really badly wrong, but you need to know where are we going with this um, and also deal with things, fess up early, you know, apologise if you have to apologise, not lie. Plenty of people want to lie about some of these things. Wow. Um, if you've got a culture that actually allows the truth to be told and to confront some really hard facts, then you're a long way through actually getting through some of these things and mitigating the damage. What a compelling reason to go back to these positive leadership mm, traits absolutely. and safety and that it's actually a risk mitigator, you know. Like absolutely. A, um, that if a crisis comes, you're going to be better prepared if you've got the right style of leadership. And you can imagine if, if you're that sort of leader that just won't open the door and won't be a listener and won't actually confront the hard stuff and be open and honest with it. It's really difficult. Whether you've made a mistake that's minor or major, um, of course, you want those people who are going to come to you and tell you what's wrong. So it's really important for teams to understand what's going on, that they can come to you openly and then know how you're all approaching the future uh, after the crisis. It's so important uh, for crisis management as it is in any aspect of the business, that open leadership style, uh, being able to listen, take advice and confront hard things is just so important. There are people in organisations who love a crisis. They love a drama. I might call them the ambulance chasers. <laughs> Don't know what you call them. You're much closer to it than I am. Probably a few swear words, really. But right. <laughs> so what do we do with these people? I can tell you a story without identifying any uh, part of my professional life that I've come from to be able to tell you this story. But uh, there have been people that I've gone into teams and you work out very quickly who the the drama kings and queens are. Uh, they're the people who sometimes even sit on information so that things can blow up and they get to be able to save the day. I have seen those people and it's incredible because they get then, uh, if they're able to manage it, they actually get affirmation from people saying, wow, like that was a really terrible disaster and gee, you managed it really well. And I've seen that. Um, it's quite incredible. I'm, uh, for someone who has worked in this field for quite a while, actually like the peace and quiet and calm as much as possible and making sure that mitigation part is uh, a lot of the emphasis rather than the, 
okay, something has gone wrong, what do we do? I'd much prefer to front end it and make sure that you've got those relationships, whether it's in the business or, or whether it's in, in other situations where people can come to you and you can mitigate rather than actually be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Fantastic. And don't reward that behaviour. Absolutely. I saying reward the stuff at the front Abs- end. Absolutely. Okay. So now let's talk about ourselves our most important thing. (laughs) How do I handle myself? Because it's pretty freaky and we can have those amygdala hijacks where we want to run, we want to hide, we want to freeze. What is it that we need to do to really help ourselves through the crisis? It's a real balancing act, I think, Margie. And it's interesting because I've seen uh, a couple of different styles of crisis and issues managers. There's the people who are for whatever reason, decide that uh, if something goes wrong, someone will tell me. Not a particularly proactive approach to this. And then there's the others at the other end of the um, extreme who are nervous all the time. And, you know, they're the ones who are checking their phone over dinner and can't put it down. They're the ones who uh, over the weekend are obsessing over the news sites and, you know, probably a million Google alerts on a million issues. Uh, Finding that balance in between there somewhere where you're able to pick up signals and mitigate uh, versus being completely obsessed and a bit neurotic about it is is a really difficult balancing act. But I think it gets easier the longer you're in that because it's exhausting to Mm. be consciously all the time worried about something. Um, Equally, I I probably wouldn't want that person on my team who's so kicked back that if the cards fall that way, I'll just pick it up when it happens, you know. What I think is um, important too, and again, this goes down to the sort of organisation that you work in and being um, a bit of uh, match fit around managing crisis is knowing what your role is in it as well. Uh, If you have a a group of people who understand uh, that perhaps it's not their thing and they can just get on with work because how many thousands of hours do we know have been lost uh, over worrying about things or talking about things over a coffee or, or whatever that have nothing to do with you. Um, you've just got to get on with it. And if you're a a manager in that scenario too, life goes on. The whole world doesn't stop because you're dealing with something and you really want those people in your team who are going to keep going, keep doing the things that need to be done because it's a very uh, bad place to be to get to the end of something like that and you're you're weeks behind on on the things that are good. Mm, So getting perspective making sure you know what your role is in the process of the crisis, not trying to do everything, not running around like a chicken with its head cut off, but actually managing your energy and yourself as so you can help others yeah. through the process. And as a manager, it's really important that you make sure people understand their roles in all of that, that you have the clarity of mind to really be disciplined enough to just get on because you're going to be the person that that manager actually relies on and that they're, they're good opportunities in that that space as well. It can be a really difficult time for people when an organisation they deeply identify with is going through a crisis and they go to the dinner party or to the barbecue or their family says, how can you work there? It's been all yeah. over certain media organisations. Um, have you got any tips or ideas about how to manage that? It's a really good point, Margie. And I think uh, internal comms is often a much overlooked discipline. It is so important, particularly in uh, modern uh, corporations and modern business life, because uh, not just making sure that your team more broadly understands what's happening and not even just the people around you, the broader organisation, 
and turning them into advocates or at least having information from your side of things that makes it easier to understand what's happening so that they don't get to that barbecue and get that question about, ugh, God, the business you work for, they're rubbish. Again, to use Woolworths as an example, we always had quite a challenge there because uh, there was only, I think, of uh, close to a couple of hundred thousand employees, uh, really only a few thousand that had email addresses even. So uh, actually communicating with them what was happening Uh, the main source for the vast majority of Woolworths employees uh, where they're getting their information from is from the media. Mm. Really difficult when you're trying to mitigate for some of those issues because it's such a Mm. front-of-mind business. Uh, Internal comms and the way to be able to get the managers empowered to be able to get that sense of pride or at least just have clarity is just so important. And I think it's actually a really exciting avenue of growth in in the whole communications industry because internal comms is going to become more and more important. And as we know through social media and through elections and how um, misinformation is shared, uh, we've got a we've got a whole opportunity here for allowing people to get the right information in the right way. And that of course presupposes that you are communicating effectively with people and that you have you know, sort of fronted up to all the issues that you are having and that you've listened and that you do have responses and that you do have positions that your employees can get behind or at least understand. That's a difficult craft as well, I think. But I think as we go forward, particularly with the scale of some of these things that are coming, whether it's raw commissions or or whether it's governments intervening in markets, it is just going to get so important. And I think we'll see probably over the next couple of years some businesses being caught out and some businesses doing it really well. And I, for one, am really interested to see how that game plays out. This has been so helpful for me to understand what goes on behind the scenes and what sort of role I can help my clients play in a crisis, reputation management, and also the, the importance of actually being aware of all of these things. So, Claire, it's been really informative today to understand how bad it can really get, what has been happening behind the scenes, the teams, the roles, the way that we manage risk, the importance of that. And then again, how to be a great leader and manage yourself to actually get the right outcomes. Thanks so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure. And always make good choices. Fast Track is produced in the studios of Podcast One Australia. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the app or search Fast Track Career Conversations Podcast.